finishing our series, A Hidden Wholeness, today. And to do that, I have a question for you, a sentence I would like you to finish for yourself. So prepare yourself to hear the beginning of the sentence, and then you fill in the rest. Got it? All right. Here it is. I will be whole when. Not a hmm. Got to put some words in there. And you could put those words in there in your mind, or you could write them down. But fill in that sentence. I will be whole when. Adam Grant introduces us to an interesting woman in his book, Think Again. Uh, this woman, Ursula Merckx, went to see the doctor because she was having, you know, a headache and back pain and dizziness and was making her unable to work. And so the doctors began assessing her. Um, she was having difficulty, for example, finding the cup of water on her bedside stand or even finding the door into her bedroom. Now, she was a seamstress, so she was able to cut out patterns and things like this, but she was struggling. And so after the doctors do a whole bunch of testing, they find out that she's going blind, and she's completely unaware of it. How fascinating that she's going blind, but she is blind to her blindness. And Ursula is not the only person to experience this in history. There's a couple of doctors who worked with six people who were experiencing blindness, but claimed not to be blind. And this is something they wrote about those, that group of people. It said, as they were not aware of their blindness when they walked about, they bumped into the furniture and walls, but did not change their behavior. When confronted with their blindness in a rather pointed fashion, they would either deny any visual difficulty or remark, it's too dark in this room. Why don't you turn the lights on? Or, I forgot my glasses. Or, my vision is not too good, but I can see all right. The patients would not accept any demonstration or assurance which would prove their blindness. This is so fascinating. And now this is actually known as Anton's Syndrome in which the definition is a deficit of self-awareness in which a person is oblivious to physical disability but otherwise doing fairly well cognitively. Isn't this fascinating and almost mind-blowing? And it really is amazing because it shows the power of humans to adapt and to change and to get along. But it also is a bit terrifying because perhaps all of us experience a form, maybe smaller, of Anton's syndrome. Perhaps we have our own blind spots that we are not able to see about ourselves. And perhaps we adapt to it. So this curious question this morning, how, or curious statement, it's not a question, you finished it, I will be whole when? The curious thing is to add to that, how did your blind spot influence how you answered that question? You know, how you finish that sentence is influenced by what you're able to see versus what you are not able to see. So, will you be whole when something that is missing from your life is brought into your life? You know, maybe when you get your degree, 
or maybe when you get a job, or maybe it's relational, maybe when you get a husband or a wife, or maybe when you get some of those children, or maybe when you get, this is opposite, but get rid of those children and they get jobs and they move on. Or maybe it's something you buy, like a house. You know, when I get this, then I will be whole. So however you answer that, how does our blind spot affect how we answer? You know, these are things we can see we're missing, but what are we missing that we're not even aware of? Or on the other side, what is something present in your life <sighs> that needs to be gotten rid of? Maybe something you can see, so you know, I need to get rid of this person who's a problem. I need to either fix them or get rid of them. Or maybe it's something just bad in your habits of life. Like, I drink too much alcohol. I need to get rid of that habit. Or I procrastinate way too much. I need to get rid of that. Or I have a temper, and I'm angry, and I need to get rid of anger in my life. You know, what is something you're aware of that if you get rid of it, you will then feel whole? But what are you not aware of that everyone around you is aware of that if you get rid of it, you will be more whole? It seems we fall into this cycle of life of seeking and looking for wholeness. You know, I will feel whole when I get this. Or I will feel whole when I get rid of that. Well, today, we are considering that search in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, talking about our hidden wholeness. And today, I want to talk about three things. Imputation, tunnel vision, and when. Let's begin with imputation. Imputation is actually one of my favorite theological concepts, and you've probably heard me talk about it before. But... Imputation, just to begin with definitions, is somewhat the opposite of amputation. Amputation is taking something away, and imputation is giving something. I had a fun physical example of this this past week. I went with Russell and his class to a field trip to a mine, and his teacher is a fascinating person because she donated a kidney to her dad. Now, what a beautiful thing to give one healthy kidney, you know, keeping one so she could keep going, and giving the other to her dad so that he could live seven more years. And I loved her report that she was so happy that when he did die, it wasn't because of her kidney. So, but she literally had her kidney amputated out of her and imputated into him. Get it? This is a physical example. Maybe you can take a relational example. I mean, I have a brother, and imagine my brother has a friend coming to Denver and needs a place to stay for a night. And so we say, oh, yeah, send friend over. And so when that friend comes, who's a stranger, we don't treat that person like a stranger. In fact, we impute all of my love and care for my brother onto that person. So I treat that stranger as if I'm treating my brother. You get that? Imputation, giving. And in banking world, we can maybe say, like, you're crediting to the account of, you're giving something, imputing. And when we come to the theological concept, this is where it's amazing. Because imputation is something God does. Two ways God imputes with us. First, God 
imputes all of our sin, all of our brokenness and the mess of who we are, takes all that and imputes it onto Jesus. This is why we talk about Jesus all the time at church. Jesus lived a perfect life, sent from heaven as God, took on humanity, lives a perfect life, so he was able to take on all the sin and pay for that on the cross. He took care of it, able to forgive all the sin, past, present, future. And God takes our sin and imputes it on Jesus. And then, second way God imputes is God takes all the righteousness, the goodness, the holiness of Jesus and imputes that into us. So now when we stand before God, it's not that we stand before God as sinners and guilty and shameful, but instead we stand before God holy and perfect because God sees us with the righteousness of Jesus. So imputation. Here's a way to summarize it from the Heidelberg Catechism. Familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism? It asks these questions and then gives an answer. And I love the Heidelberg Catechism. But here's question number 60. How are you righteous before God? How are you righteous before God? And the answer is, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil. Nevertheless, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. As if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, and if I had been as per and as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. Imputation. God takes all of our sin, puts it on Jesus, takes all the righteousness of Jesus, and puts it on us. And the result, we are whole. We are whole. We stand before God whole and complete. And so when we live this life here on this earth, we can say, I am whole. And in fact, I can say, Jesus, thank you for making me whole. I now live whole because of what you have done for me. And it could be an interesting practice this week as you go into your week and do some breath prayers as you're standing in line or driving in a car or doing some things and you just need a breath prayer of reminder of who you are and that you're whole to simply breathe in, I am whole. And to breathe out, thank you, Jesus, for making me whole. And to take that in to ourselves. Well, second, tunnel vision. So Susie has been doing some paper tricks with the Mobius strip. If you didn't know about this, you take your finger and drive around, and it's always the same side, inside and outside. And it's a good illustration of our interior and exterior being one. Well, I have my own paper trick to do with you. If you grab a piece of paper at the end of a pew, it's very important you participate. So, what I'd like you to do is to roll up your piece of paper like this. 
and make a tube. Not quite as fancy. And then close one eye. You just choose one eye, close it, put the tube up next to another eye, and look around. Actually, just look at me. What do you see when you see me? Me. What don't you see? <laughs> Everything else. There's nothing else. The tube blocks out your distracting neighbors. Right? Okay. You can put it down, or if that helps you focus, you can keep that going. <laughs> but the idea with tunnel vision in that example is that you are limited in what you see. Limited. Tunnel vision. Now, I don't know how this tunnel vision works for you. It could be that you get so detail-oriented and so into something that you just can't let it go, and you need somebody to come along and say, let it go. Or maybe, more my direction, you are so big picture, and there's so many choices and endless opportunities and options that you just need somebody to come along and say, just choose one and go. Or tunnel vision. Who knows? Your example in your own life of how tunnel vision affects you. But tunnel vision is limiting our vision. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul uses a particular word to help us overcome our tunnel vision. He uses this one word over and over, and it is the word we. We. Now, this whole time you've been hearing us talk about this one chapter that has bracketed phrase at the beginning and bracketed phrase at the end, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. And there it is, we. So what is this we, and how does that overcome our tunnel vision? Well, first, Paul is saying we, referring to just the group of traveling companions he's with, going and starting churches and doing God's work. So, Timothy and Silas and others, there's a we of his interior group. Paul's not alone. It is a we. But then, Paul's also referring to the church, to the we of us gathered together, to the we of all people who have had Jesus imputate his righteousness into them. And that forms the we of who have received that. And then there is the we job of going and telling others about this. The we project of helping others connect to God and to become part of we, and for we to grow and to grow and to grow. So Paul is using this word we to overcome tunnel vision. It makes you wonder, how does that happen? How does that overcome tunnel vision? I think one form of tunnel vision is to think, oh, I've received this great treasure from Jesus and it is mine, and I'm going to keep it to myself. And that can form a tunnel vision in me. But when Paul says we, it pushes out to see more than me, to see all of us. And not just the people who are in my group already, but the people who are out there who are not yet here, who God is drawing in. So we. And when Paul says we, he often says, we are having a hard time. You know, in this passage, Paul is saying, hey, this is hard, but we are doing these difficult things because we are whole and because we have this great hope for you. We do this because we see you. We don't have tunnel vision on ourselves, but we have this perspective 
for others to be joined in on the we. So in chapter 4, verse 8, here's something Paul says. And listen for what Paul says about his perspective on the hardships. Paul writes, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And it's so fascinating for Paul to say we are experiencing death, hardship, difficulty, troubles, and it's for you. That perspective changes Paul like, you know, death is not very pleasant. I don't want this. But when I see this bigger picture of what God is doing, of helping others join in this community, I'm willing to suffer in that way. Well, perhaps you've already heard or read about the Barna study on mental health that we've been promoting a lot. And I refuse to stop talking about this study, and you'll soon find out why. So Barna does this research, says, hey, in the past 18 months, where is everyone at in mental health? And so they measure, I don't know how they measure mental health, but they measure. And they find that in every category, mental health is down. People are having poorer mental health right now than pre-pandemic. So if you're a man, you have poor mental health. If you're a woman, you have poor mental health. If you are rich or poor or middle class, you are having poor mental health. If you are a Republican, you would expectedly have poor mental health. If you're a Democrat, it's surprising, but you also have poor mental health. Everyone has poor mental health, except people who come to church every week. And now you know why I'm going to talk about this forever. <laughs> if you come here, it, I don't know how they measure, but four points up in mental health. People who come to church are doing better post-pandemic than pre-pandemic. That's interesting. And it makes you wonder why. And I think just simply prioritizing God in your life is going to help. But also prioritizing showing up to the we also helps. There's something good in the showing up and interacting with others. For us to remind each other of our wholeness, even when there's struggle and hurt and difficulty, to remind ourselves we are still whole. We are still complete with God. And that reminder. And also, I think there's something powerful that God does by forcing us out of our tunnel vision. You know, if I was given to my own choices in life and just taking care of me only, I wouldn't make choices to be around people that I don't like or who are difficult or unpleasant in any way. And in this past year, we've had this great excuse not to hang out with anybody we don't like, not to do anything we don't like to do. We only do things we like to do when we want to do it and how we want to do it. And what has that led to? 
poor mental health. But when you put yourself in the group of people and you have to interact with others, yes, it's discouraging sometimes. People say ridiculous things. But it's also encouraging to be together. And I don't know how all that works, but God works it out. Well, finally, when. I ask you to fill in the rest of that sentence. I will be whole when. And we get Paul's answer later in the book of, in the letter to the Corinthians. Chapter 12, Paul gives us a little insight into his own filling in that sentence. Uh, Paul calls it a thorn in the flesh. We don't know historically what that thorn exactly was. Some people speculate that it could have been blindness or poor eyesight. Speculating that many of Paul's letters, he couldn't even write. He had to dictate, and then at the end, he'd like scribble his name because he couldn't even see well enough to write. So that's a speculation, but it is the possibility that Paul said, I will be whole when God heals me of my blindness. And God didn't do it. And here's what Paul wrote about that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I don't know how you finished your sentence. And I know that there are things that are hard. But I think there's an invitation in what Paul says here to bring all that to God and say, God, I want to give this to you. I want you to lead me into your strength through it. So as we conclude this series on a hidden wholeness, I want to simply say, one, you are whole. God has in, imputated into you the righteousness of Christ. You are forgiven of your sins, and now you live as a whole person. And second, we gather to remind each other that we are whole, to remind each other, ah, you are living out the righteousness of Christ. You can do it no matter what difficulty or hardship. Keep going. You can do it. And third, echoing Paul's bracketed phrase, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart because we know that we live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. That's not in trouble, so neither are we. So no matter my circumstances, my difficulties, my troubles, the things that I have in my life, God knows that and goes with me in them. And he's inviting us to lean into him for his strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us that we are whole, that we are complete. 
that we are fully known by you, fully loved by you. We have no fear of any rejection by you because you have made us complete. And I pray that you would help us live into that completeness, to that wholeness, and for it to be more true this week than it was last week, and to be more true next year than it was last year, and for us always to be growing into your holiness. Thank you for your grace to do this. I pray this in your name. Amen.